Hi, it's Peter Saltzman. You're listening to Improvisations on the Ledge. If you're enjoying this podcast with its unique blend of piano and verbal improvisation, please subscribe, give it five stars, and write a verbose review with lots of big words. On to the show. I realized after the avant-garde jazz for dummies episode that I had a lot more to say about that. Part of what I wanted to say, even though I somehow uh, went into Billy Strayhorn's uh, Take the A-Train there, was that the greatest gift of the avant-garde is to free our minds as both listeners and practitioners, as consumers of the sound, creators of the sound, and everyone in between. And there are people who are in between, after all. Uh, Maybe those are record companies but yes to free our minds from set patterns now music of course as i've said on many occasions is all about patterns usually simple patterns multiplying to create more complex patterns like three notes moving it up inverting it, meaning playing it backwards. Playing it in counterpoint. Now, what does all of that have to do with the avant-garde, you may ask? Music, patterns, sound patterns. Well, the truth is, like any pattern, we fall into certain patterns. We get stuck 
in patterns. Musically, as much as in life, you wake up, go to the bathroom, eat breakfast, go to work, do whatever that is, come home. There's a pattern, and it's normal, but it can also lead to stasis. And that, to me, is where the musical avant-garde becomes a mechanism for freeing oneself from one's usual patterns. And as I uh, was producing the show Avant-Garde Jazz for Dummies, I started to listen to some of my old avant-garde heroes, particularly Cecil Taylor, who was kind of featured in that show. And I went back and listened, and for me, what was most powerful about his music is that it gave me the gift of being able to look at all of this from a different perspective to get away from thinking of well it has to be a tune it has to be this certain structure that i follow in jazz in particular where the kind of default mode is to play the tune improvise which is would be the equivalent of the development section in classical period music and then come back to the tune now of course jazz has gone well beyond that formula but part of the reason it goes beyond those patterns those formulas is because of people like cecil taylor now this is not to suggest that cecil was just there to free all of us he was great in his own right he had his own sound his own language as i spoke about in that episode but for our artists growing up, it's very easy to get stuck in certain patterns. And when you hear somebody like that, or John Cage, it frees you to think about things in a different way. And I do find that every time I get stuck in any particular mode, I'm working on something and I'm I'm kind of in a holding pattern, it really helps me to go listen to think about artists like Cecil Taylor or Cage to get out of that pattern. Now, John Cage is in a really interesting case study. There is much that I don't care for in his philosophy and music. His kind of anti-jazz status bothered me. But what I loved was his rather zen acceptance of all sound as being valid as a part of music. I wrote about this in the opening of my memoir, which is incomplete, but you could find on the link below if you want to read it. It's attached to a solo piano album called Blues Preludes and Feuds. But when I was 18-year-old jazzer, I used to call Cage a decomposer. And I meant this in a negative sense, but as I got to know his music, and more importantly, or just as importantly, his philosophy, I came to understand it as a positive. For what he did was made us think about our assumptions about what is music, what is sound, this so-called perfection of music that goes back to the classicist, goes back to Bach and Beethoven, how we tend to want this kind of classical perfection, which creates in the right hands, like a Beethoven or a Bach, absolutely beautiful music. But one of the things that is troublesome about it is that you go into a concert hall, say, to hear the Chicago Symphony Orchestra or whatever, and the whole thing is so formalized. You're not supposed to talk. You're not supposed to cough. And I get that. We're listening to music. It's an experience of this music, but that mindset of eliminating all distractions is something that Cage attacked. In fact, he said the distractions, what's going on in the background, is part of the musical experience. And of course, this was expressed 
perfectly in his uh, famous four minutes and 33 seconds of silence in which the performer or performers are supposed to sit there and do nothing for those four minutes and 33 seconds. But it wasn't nothing. First of all, there's a score that tells you that you're not supposed to play for these three separate movements within that 433, which is kind of funny. But it also makes the point that when I first, quote-unquote, heard this in a concert in a church, what does it do that you have to sit there silently? Well, you have to pay attention to what's going on around you and realize that there's all sorts of sounds, ambient sounds. And as we try to create perfect music, whether it's Beethoven or in a modern recording studio with modern pop or whatever, we're eliminating all distractions, isolating the sound so that one sound doesn't interfere with the other. A drum booth, the perfect mic, the perfect compressors, the whole chain of effects to make it big or whatever sound you're going for. All these things are great, but they do tend to put you in the mindset of ignoring what's going on right in front of you. So if I had to come up with one thing that avant-gardists have in common, and, and they're all completely different, there's between Cage and Cecil Taylor, or even between Cecil Taylor and Coltrane, supposedly both in the jazz genre. There is a world of difference, but the one thing they do, they have in common, is they make you think differently about sound, music. So, if I took that little phrase that I started with, or did I start it this way? Doesn't matter. If I now took that and thought about it in different ways, what could I come up with? I don't know. After all, it's just three notes. And those three notes, they're tones, pitches. They're a rhythm, a specific rhythm. Da, da, da. They're a particular timbre, a sound. All of those things can be manipulated, altered.
Though, in the end, after this two-episode exploration of the avant-garde, I have to admit, I prefer a good tune, a structure I could follow, preferably without the benefit of a manual, a melody I can hum. So... Hey, it's me, Peter Saltzman, again. I mean, who else? Stay tuned for the next episode of Improvisations on the Ledge, which you'll be gently notified about if you subscribe. And if you love the music, you can hear a ton more on my Bandcamp page, petersaltzman.bandcamp.com, where you can also subscribe and get access to exclusive content, including all the music from these podcasts, not to mention all the non-piano music, like my one-minute songs. And if you want to support my work directly, please check out my newly launched Patreon page. That's patreon.com slash petersaltzman. Finally, be sure to check out my main website, petersaltzman.com, for all the latest. And don't worry, all of these links are in the notes below. Thanks for listening. <laughs>